everybody, and welcome back to the Kidlit Chronicles. This is Hannah. This is Chelsea. And this is Nikki. On this show, we talk about kids' books, mostly the ones that we loved as kids of the early 2000s. So think Warrior Cats, The Hobbit, Coraline, and The Princess Bride. Sometimes we also read modern books and interview authors. In this episode, we interviewed Michelle Lamb about her debut graphic novel, Mish the Bad Demon. Michelle is a storyboard artist and director in the animation industry, and she's also now a graphic novel author and illustrator. She's worked on several animated projects on Netflix, including Oni, Thunder God's Tale, and Arlo the Alligator Boy. She also posts comics on her Instagram and advice for young artists on her YouTube channel, which is Mew Tripled. We talk about Michelle's inspiration for Mish, her process of designing the world of fairies and demons, how her Asian-American identity influenced the plot, and society's view on femininity. Just a disclaimer, we get deep into the details of the book, so be prepared for spoilers. Don't forget to rate us on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Follow us on Instagram and YouTube at The Kid Lake Chronicles and at Kid Lake Chronicle on Twitter. And as always, enjoy the episode. First, I kind of wanted to just talk about like how I found you online. I know you as like Mew Tripled on uh, YouTube and Instagram. And yeah, I've, I've found you, your YouTube videos very helpful as like someone who was like an animation student who like was kind of thrown into the abyss after graduating and <laughs> all your videos about like uh, advice for the industry and like different art industries have been very helpful to me. <laughs> I'm glad. Thank you. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It was through that, that like I saw that you were like publishing a middle grade uh, graphic novel. Um, and we already had this podcast where we talk about middle grade books. So I was like, haha, this is the perfect opportunity. Wow. <laughs> yeah. Thank you so much for having me on here. Like, and thank you for supporting my work even outside of me. So <laughs> I'm really glad that, you know, yeah. our paths have crossed. Yeah. <laughs> uh, needless to say, we're big fans. And Thank speaking you. of all of the awesome things that you do in illustration and animation, uh, can you tell us a little bit about your career and how you kind of got from where you started to writing and illustrating a graphic novel? Yeah. So, I mean, after I graduated, I was also thrown into the abyss where I was just like, well, I'm not landing any jobs in animation so the only thing that was giving me some sort of, I guess, attention or traction was starting to post comics on Instagram during my free time, because during that time, Instagram was not as much of a mess as it is now. And it was a pretty decent place for artists to post their work. And at that time, there were a lot of Disney animators or people working in animation who were active on Instagram and I thought like, hey, maybe my way of breaking through the industry might require me to post more on Instagram. And at first I was very opposed to doing that because I was actually like pretty anti-social media, like not too long ago, but I was like kind of just biting the bullet and being like, maybe this is just what you got to do, girl. So I did it. I started posting comics 
And it wasn't because of my comics that I landed my first animation job, but it was through LinkedIn randomly. So I landed my first animation job at Netflix and Glen Keane Productions, where I was first a storyboard revisionist, then grew into a storyboard artist at Trash Truck. And while I was working there, I was also still posting comics on Instagram. Like I wanted to keep it up because I was just like, you never know what's going to happen. You never know if, you know, once this job ends, nothing's going to happen again and you're just going to be back doing nothing. So I might as well keep the momentum going. And that's when somebody reached out to me after seeing me post comics on Instagram. And it was now my now editor at Penguin Random House. And she asked me, hey, would you be interested in publishing a middle grade graphic novel at any point? And I was just like, at first, when I first started my job, I was just like, I'm not sure. I just started my first animation job that I literally worked so hard to get to. And I would really love to just focus on it. And then after a few months have passed and I really contemplated my career and I was like, you know, I feel like nowadays in animation, a lot of the works that people make are IP driven. And it's kind of one of those things if you ever want to maybe have the chances of getting your own project out there, it kind of helps to have your own work that's kind of already been created elsewhere. So that's kind of when I was like, all right, I'll take on the graphic novel like opportunity and I started working on Niche the Bad Demon probably by the time I started my second animation job. When we were talking to like Doig Swift who are another group who are like animators turned like graphic novelists they also said like making a graphic novel is a lot more achievable way to like create your vision than like creating your own animated series <laughs> just yes, because of like for sure. it's crazy to like <laughs> fund your own animated series and everything I know and it sometimes just feels like if you were to run your own project or create it you have to like make these pitch bibles and pitch them to studios which might most of the time just lead to nowhere and it's just like I would rather just have something done that I could just be proud of on its own regard instead of this like thing that only certain people have seen and I haven't even like been able to do anything else with it other than just pitch it to studios so well relatedly um you talking about like uh working on your graphic novel at the same time as like working an animation job that's a lot of work (laughs) yeah it is (laughs) Um, and you also do, you make YouTube videos and you're still making comics on your Instagram at the same time. So Mm -hmm. I was just wondering, like, is there one of those art forms that you like really enjoy above the others that you might want to like settle into long-term instead of like having to do everything all at once, which sounds like a lot of work, (laughs) I guess. Yes. I, I mean, I totally feel you. I mean, that's the goal is to eventually have... I feel like I'm just throwing a lot of things at the wall right now and seeing which one sticks. But I would definitely say that if I could choose like the ultimate dream at this moment, it would probably be continuing to create graphic novels and have one of them be able to be adapted to like an animated series. I would be okay with live action too, but I feel like for me, I'm more of like, I love animation. That's kind of where my interests began. So to have one of them being adapted to an animated film or series would be the ultimate dream. And, you know, I could just sit in and just be like, yeah, 
everything looks great. And then I could go back and work on my own other graphic novels that I've moved on to, I guess, because I love just the fact that for the most part, when you work on a graphic novel, you're left alone for the most part. And you could just work on your vision. And yes, there's like a collaborative aspect to it. But for the most part, it's nowhere near as, you know, I guess not intimidating, but like in animation, you have a lot of gatekeepers and people that just tell you what you can do, what you can't do. And it's just like, I always see my my showrunners or directors always like having to really please like executives at these other bigger studios. And I haven't really felt like I had to deal with that while writing or drawing a graphic novel for the most part. It's kind of been like doing a professional quote unquote version of my Instagram where, hey, I just get to make comics and just have it published to the world and see what happens and you get paid for it. And it's cool and it's chill. The only thing I would say is I do wish that graphic novels were as stable as animation because I do think animation is a more like stable financial career path than graphic novels for the time being but I do think like maybe if I built a name for myself in the world of publishing then maybe I could get to that state of animation but yeah ultimately the dream for now is to just do graphic novels with the hopes of one of them becoming adapted to animation. Yeah, I would love to see a Mish TV series. That sounds really yeah, cool. Yeah, I mean, that would be really cool for me too, so. <laughs> I'll go a little bit more into Mish specifically. So we were wondering how did the story of Mish the Bad Demon come to be? Uh, and why did you make the main character a demon? We were wondering if you um, really like enjoy demons particularly. <laughs> yeah, so I guess the story really originated from my Instagram comics because at first I had this series called Succubishes, but it's more of an adult themed comic. And obviously I was asked to do a middle grade series, which is not something that I'm like too far away from, but it's definitely like, I'm used to just like letting everything out unfiltered, but now I'm just like, all right, now I have to like tone it down, but I still want to keep like some of the deep messages the same, I guess. So originally the demon imagery kind of came from me doing my Instagram comics and I created this demon girl because during that time I was just thinking about how, you know, a lot of girls, females or femininity is like demonized a lot of just for existing, like you could just be into really feminine things and people will be like, ew, you like pink, that's gross. Or just viewing like things on a feminine level to be a lot lower than, you know, I guess masculinity and stuff, or like girls just get so much, I guess, criticism for just existing and breathing sometimes. So that's why I was like, I want to put horns on this girl because she's just living her life, doing whatever she wants. But to society, she's demonized or, you know, the devil because she does things that you know, our society was shaped to dislike. So putting the horns on her is kind of more of like the perspective of society. And then when it came to creating the graphic novel, like I wanted to maintain the whole demonized thing, but I kind of made it a little bit more literal where I was like, there's a world of demons now and there's a world of fairies. So I kind of took that abstract concept and made it more of a literal story in Mish. 
Wow, I love that. And I definitely relate to that because when I was a kid, I feel like I leaned super hard into being a tomboy because I thought that was what was cool. And it's only really in like the last few years that I've been like, oh, it's okay to like, like to dress up and it's not shallow or anything like that. Yeah, of course. Like same. That was me too. Like I grew up with a lot of male cousins, which actually Xavier is inspired by, like he was inspired by my male cousin, but I always felt like I had to fit in with my male cousins because that was just who I hung around with. And I did have like a few select girl cousins, but they were a lot younger. And I felt like anytime I tried to lean in with them and try to be like fashionable or try to get into cute dolls or like even like plushies and stuff I would be like pulled back from my male cousins and be like hey why why are you liking that you're not supposed to be liking that blah 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 so uh, that's kind of like where the Mish Xavier dynamic came from I think we all really liked Xavier too (laughs) (laughs) yeah okay well I'm gonna pivot I don't have a good segue for this question (laughs) but yeah no worries um I just wanted to ask, like, I think you've said that your favorite, like, kids book series was um, Tokyo Mew Mew, which is a manga, right? (laughs) Yeah, so I grew up watching a lot of anime, but also mostly reading a lot of manga growing up. So (laughs) that was one of my favorites for sure, because I loved animals and I did like magical girls, but it was just like the fact that the magical girls turn into like an animal inspired thing was just like bonus points for me. <laughs> yeah. And Mish specifically, like there is there there does seem to be some magical girl inspiration, but also just some general yeah. like manga generation uh inspiration. Because like for instance, I noticed like the the like villain bad guy, he got like that anime glasses like glare (laughs) when he was like plotting and screaming (laughs) so I just yeah wanted to ask generally if you were inspired by manga for me should yes of course I do feel like manga and anime has always been my greatest like inspiration in terms of the style because growing up I actually like So I did watch a lot of Disney and Western films, but I felt like that was never really what inspired me or got me to really draw. It was really once I started watching like Pokemon or anything that was like anime or even just, I was more interested in animals and anime and manga more so than just like Western cartoons. Like I was honestly like never really a Looney Tunes girl so I'm sorry if there are any Looney Tunes fans out there but I was just like there was just something about that exaggerated humor that was never really my thing but when it came to anime and manga there was some more nuance to like the emotions that they drew and there was like more of a gray area between what was like adult and what's for kids I kind of love that there was a mixture of many things rather than just this is strictly for kids and strictly comedy and there's like you know action humor and like drama in a lot of like even kids related shows for anime so I grew up pretty much consuming a lot of manga and anime and I love drawing the styles and when it came to like magical girls again like I felt like I love the aspect that you know you get to be something that you're not But a lot of them also have to struggle with really accepting who you really are and not like, even though you get this beautiful or this amazing power, you still have to learn to love the person 
without it, I guess. And that was one of the things I wanted to incorporate in Mish, where it's just like, you know, you're going to be given this power, but you're going to still have to learn to love yourself without it. So that's kind of what inspired me from the anime manga world. Yeah. I also grew up watching a lot of anime as well. Yeah. (laughs) I also feel like it's just the rebellious side of me that's like, you know, I've been restricted from drawing this style for so long because when you're growing up, you're told to not draw anime or manga that much. But now I'm just like, now everyone in animation is like drawing inspiration from it. Studios are like so open to adapting the styles. They're even like anime purely anime driven shows being made at American studios that it's just like, well, look at how the tables turn. (laughs) (laughs) It's true. And especially like, I feel like I've heard it said before that like, I know we're like slightly different ages, (laughs) but we're both like in our 20s, right? I guess I'm not entirely sure where the gap is. But like growing up, I feel like there was a gap in American cartoons of like, You know, there wasn't that much for girls specifically, Mm -hmm. but then anime kind of filled that gap for a lot of people. Yes. Oh my gosh. I totally agree with that because I felt like one of the things too that I loved about anime and manga was I felt like a lot of the shows even empowered femininity or like allowed girls to feel powerful. Like you get like a lot of, you know, Western animations that are like, yeah, you'll have your Disney princesses and stuff, but do they fight (laughs) like that's the real question do they fight while wearing a dress though that's the that's the thing I felt like I really liked about the magical girl trope I guess is that they I enjoyed seeing them being able to be girly and cute but also like doing really actiony things as well exactly yeah (laughs) so you mentioned some of those deeper themes and I I can definitely see the inspiration of like how anime there's not as clear of a line between like what's for kids what's for adults and in Mish there are a lot of really serious you know deep themes that are that you are distilling for a younger audience which I really love and I read in some other interviews um, that a part of this identity journey that Mish goes on also has to do with your own you know personal identity journey with being Asian American um And I also write a lot on the side and I write about being Asian like all Mm -hmm. the time. (laughs) Yeah. Um, So, yeah, you mentioned how Misha's struggle with demon demon demonness is about femininity, but I can also see it about being about Asian-American identity. Uh, So I was wondering if you could talk a little bit more about what that process of incorporating that theme was like for you. Yeah, of course. And yeah, you actually got it spot on where, yeah, her demonization also definitely came from how I guess I viewed my own Asian American identity as well as like the whole pandemic as well. I feel Mm -hmm. like when I made Mish, it was before the pandemic began, but I also started having to actually, you know, draw the rough sketches and start executing on the story the moment the pandemic happened. And that was also like the beginning or rise of like the Asian hate crimes in America. And I was just like, like, obviously I'm not saying like, oh, I was so inspired by all of this violence. No, it was more of like, you know, this is a truth that I feel like still exists that, you know, I feel like relates to what I want to say in my book. So I felt like when I was 
creating niche, I was thinking about the fact that, you know, I never really thought about myself like being like Asian like that deeply until now because there's a lot of people who are targeting people of like our community that could be that could be like my mom that could be my dad that could be my grandma or whoever just because of this sickness that you know people think is associated with just a certain race so I felt like when I was making niche is kind of think I was thinking about how you know it felt like the world was kind of like anti-Asian for one at one point kind of like how in Misha's world like everyone kind of has this negative association with demons so I felt like that was kind of also what inspired Misha's journey of course was if instead of her accepting herself as a demon it was kind of her me accepting myself as like you know Chinese American or being like someone who is a part of this group that people currently don't really have fond thoughts of like even if it's not like from COVID it's even like from politics nowadays with people like being anti-China or something and you just like have to associate yourself with this and it's kind of like once people are starting to be more against your group or your community it kind of forces you to be more protective of it and to kind of like be the person who does what they can to, I guess, bring the goodness out of it. So that was kind of what inspired me to make Mish learn to love herself as a demon. It's kind of like from me learning to love myself as a as an Asian American when it felt like the whole world was almost against like our community at some point. Yeah, I definitely relate to that because I think the pandemic was a real turning point for me too with writing because I barely wrote about Asian American issues before that point. And then like all of a sudden the pandemic, I was writing so many different essays. And I, yeah, I think it really helped me process that. And what I really liked about how you approached it in Mish is it wasn't just, I guess, one-on-one individual, you know, microaggressions for her being a demon, although that was definitely a part of it. But you go into this really systemic angle, you know, when they when the team has their heist in the museum and Misha's seeing all this history that she didn't even know about. Uh, I like that because I think when we talk about racism, I think especially for younger audiences, that nuance of it being a system is not really expanded upon. Yeah, that was the thing that that was the greatest challenge for me for this book, for sure, was I was just like, wow, this is like a lot of stuff that I'm talking about with, you know, my peers or like people in my industry or just my family, people who are definitely a lot older. This is stuff I did not think about when I was in middle school, for sure. So I definitely wanted to be able to discuss that, but compacting it in a way where hopefully somebody a lot younger can somewhat understand was the biggest challenge for sure. But that was definitely one of the things I wanted to discuss in the story was, you know, even though you face a lot of racism or discrimination in like different ways growing up under a certain like group, I feel like there's definitely so much more behind it that you don't even know, but there's also a part of you that even you yourself exhibit some of those things that you subconsciously learned when you were little like you even have like biases or like mistakes that you've done which I wanted Mish to also like yeah Mish is uh kind of like she has been a victim of racism but she also kind of 
generalizes and creates biases herself. Like even with Nuna, she thought she was this like perfect princess or something when really she was never really aware and she's naive and ignorant because she's young, but she never knew that Nuna had her own like, you know, struggles growing up and has this thing that she's been hiding. And she also has been glorifying this group of creatures that she didn't know has also had their faults in the past. So it's just like, it feels like just this cycle that society goes through. So our next thing we were wondering about was what was your inspiration for Nuna's storyline? Um, specifically, uh, you showed how she had a broken wing and was unable to fly without her mother's power at the beginning of the book. Um, but then she later learns how to fly on her own um, with Nisha's help. Uh, so we were just wondering at kind of the different ways you could interpret that, such as, you know, like a disability metaphor or just like um, learning to have self-confidence um, or how parental love can hold you back, like an overprotective parent type of situation. So um, what were your thoughts and inspiration for that storyline? Yeah, so I definitely think like the parental like figure being a either present or not present role in your life was a big one and or I guess like the overprotectiveness of it as well and also just the fact that I feel like we live in a generation where we see things on tv or on our phones and we think like everyone that we see is like this whatever image they're trying to portray of themselves when really you don't know what they're actually going through so it's kind of a mixture of i guess i guess a commentary on social media as well as parents because originally nuna was born with this broken wing and her mother being the queen is so busy with her life that she kind of doesn't really have the time to like care for her own daughter but she also i guess is very overprotective at the same time and she doesn't want her to like really leave Lumeria City and she doesn't really want Nuna to you know be in danger because she's she's a busy queen and I guess the least she could do is just make sure that her daughter doesn't get into trouble but of course with Nuna being like so I guess not like repressed but like she's very she is repressed she is like very like stuck inside this world that her mom runs and she has to also pretend to be this fairy on tv where she's like a superhero where she's perfect and she saves the world but she's really not so when mish watches a show about nuna she thinks nuna is this perfect princess hero kind of just like how when we watch people on social media we think like oh they're just like these super powerful people in some way or some form and really they're not so I feel like by the time Nuna exposes herself to Mish and who she really is I think that's more of like saying how we think we know people just from the way they paint themselves online or even on tv but we really have no idea who these people are and even though Nuna comes from a very prestigious background her relationship with her mom isn't the most perfect and she hasn't really received the proper love and care from her mom either beyond just the overprotectiveness and the shelteredness and maybe even the lack of care to teaching her to be like able to fly 
So, but Mish, she watched all of the shows about Nuna. She loves like watching fairy stuff. So she knows, I guess, how to quote unquote fly or even learning from being a demon in the guardian form, she learns to fly. So I feel like from that, they're able to bond on their imperfections. And that's the way that they eventually learn how to fly. But yeah, to answer your question, Nuna is basically like kind of a symbolism, I guess, of how we view people on social media and think that they're perfect when really they're not. Yeah, I just think it's a it's an interesting conflict. Someone meeting um, like someone that they are a huge fan of and like becoming friends and going on an adventure with them. I thought it was and in their relationship had a lot of ups and downs throughout the plot. So that was cool. And that is one of the things I was um, excited about um, for future Mish-related content, finding out, um, you know, unraveling Nuna's backstory a bit more, maybe, and yeah. uh, her relationship with Mish and stuff like that. That was what I really yeah. was drawn to in the in the novel. Yeah. Well, I'm glad. Thank okay. you. So I'm going to pivot from talking about the themes to perhaps talking about the art a little bit um, <laughs> because... I am also an artist, so these things yeah. interest me. <laughs> um, and yeah, I love the art in Mish. Um, I really like your art style. It's very Thank charming. Thank you so much. Thank you. <laughs> and particularly one thing that caught my eye was like when Mish and the gang like all went back to the demon city, the the background changed from white to black. And I was like, ooh, <laughs> this is yeah. so dramatic and cool. <laughs> So that was great. Thank you. <laughs> yeah, I also like the character designs, um, particularly Mish and her little fairy outfit with her leaf wings. <laughs> that was really Thank cute. you. Thanks. <laughs> so yeah, I just wanted to ask about like what your thought process was um, behind the main characters and their character designs, like Mish, Nuna, Chai, and Xavier. Yeah, so the character design for Mish was easy just because I wanted to make her very reminiscent of like my younger self and pretty much every Asian kid is given that bob when they're younger which is straight fangs straight medium hair that just ends at the shoulders so that was like pretty easy for me I was like all right okay cool and Nuna is actually inspired from my friend Noor, who I grew up with in college, and she is actually originally from Iraq, but she's she then later on moved to Dubai with her family. So her design is very inspired by, you know, like Middle Eastern culture. I even asked my friend Noor, like, what are some good, appropriate, like, clothing that I could dress Nuna in or like even like add to the world? So my friend Noor sent me some like really cool like outfits inspired from like Iraq and like I was just like trying to simplify it because it was so it's, it's so beautiful but I was just like there are also so many details that I'm just like how can I compress this into like a cartoon so I would send it back to my friend Noor and I was like what do you think of this and then she would be like oh yeah that's like so cute so I consulted a lot of Nuna's design with my friend Noor Xavier I just like honestly thought of my cousin because he's the one that kind of inspired him and he was the one that kind of bullied me growing up but obviously we're cool now but honestly just like that spiky hair is something that it's just I feel like also a lot of Asian boys have so I was just like I just gotta do that hairstyle that reminds me of my cousin 
And with Chai, she was actually more of like the surprise character that I did not really have a design for or a person that purely inspired me for her. So she's kind of more inspired by her, I guess, personality and attitude is inspired by my boyfriend. But I was like, obviously, she's not my boyfriend. She is just inspired, like personality wise. But I still want to make her her own character. And I've had like a collection of friends in the past who are more of that outgoing personality. So character wise, that's kind of where she came from. But design wise, I wanted her to, of course, be like a werewolf because I thought it was cool that there was a lot of creatures that, you know, they're demons, fairies, but now we have somebody who's like in the in-between. She can both be a human and a werewolf. So her design is mostly inspired by like wolves and just like their fur, I guess. And just their, I don't know, they're very like, I don't know how to describe it, just their wild nature, I guess. But I still wanted to make her like somebody who was friendly and just has that simple life and that's what she enjoys doing so that's why I kept her like simple just like she loves wearing her hat t-shirt jeans we're good yeah I love her fluffy hair her fluffy yeah, white hair yeah <laughs> yeah uh, a cute little werewolf kid is a very good <laughs> character yeah. choice I think um, thank you I also thought of wolf walkers because I watched that movie recently and I was oh, like yeah. wow Chai is basically a wolf walker <laughs> yeah yeah so I thought that was epic Related to Chai, I, yeah, I think she might have been my favorite character um, Aww, in the book. Thank <laughs> and yeah, I am really curious about her, like, backstory, because something similar, obviously, like, happened in her city as happened mm -hmm. to the demons. So, yeah, I was wondering if perhaps... We're going to see more of Chai's backstory in future books. <laughs> oh, yeah, for sure. It's really funny because I've been working on book two and it's really weird that book one came out. It's I feel like there's just such a like delay, I guess, with your book's release and you're just like already moved on to like so deep into the next project already. So by the time Mish book one came out, I was just like, I feel like I'm not even mentally with this book anymore. <laughs> So yeah, I started book two and I will say that yes, you, we will get more chai content in that. In fact, as a little bit of a hint, she begins book two, but that's all I'll leave it as. But wow. we will get more chai content in book two. And I'm also really excited in general to be able to expand more on the characters for sure. I feel like book one was definitely more of like, all right, introduction. Book two is more like, okay explanation <laughs> so yeah yeah I'm interested I'm really interested in that because there were a lot of things that really piqued my curiosity and in a good way of course like oh I really want to see how this comes back later and see you know like what unravels from here with the characters and with like the history between the demons and the fairies yeah. stuff like that yeah yeah for sure that's definitely gonna be unpacked in book two for sure awesome okay um, <laughs> do you have a plan for how many books will be in the Mish series and do you have some kind of grand finale in mind? So I will say the grand finale is actually still in the works because we actually don't know if Mish is going to end in either book two or a potential book three yet. That is still currently in the discussions. 
right now there is established an established two books for sure but book three is still in the talks because it's not in contract right now but it, there's been talks about it so I will say that book two will hopefully be able to definitely cover more of what book one has introduced and if there's stuff that is unresolved in book two, maybe it can then be resolved in a book three. But I think it would be nice to have three books just to have like that perfect three volume perfection versus like just two books. It feels like there's still one missing. But yeah, I will say two books officially, but one book is still in the air. Oh, I hope you get that third book. I know, I hope so too. Yeah, so we actually had a couple thoughts, questions slash predictions for the next book or two um, that we wanted to share with you. Uh, I am really interested in learning more about the big bad. Um, yes. <laughs> I feel like I wasn't really paying attention that closely to their character design while I was reading it, but when I was flipping back through it, like, yeah, I noticed that they're always wearing a hat. Um and they don't have fairy wings, but they're they have a henchman who's a fairy. So mm -hmm. it fills me with a lot of questions about who exactly oh, this person yeah. is. <laughs> yeah. Um, so I don't know if I have a solid prediction, but I was thinking that they could be a demon, I guess, if they were hiding horns under their hat or perhaps something else. But yeah. That is a very juicy prediction. Uh, my prediction is just related to Chai because I like Chai a lot. <laughs> I'm, like I said, I'm just curious about their backstory and I hope that perhaps we'll get to go back to her hometown and like maybe the gang will be able to fix the problem there like they fixed the problem with the demons. So <laughs> yeah. that's that's what I want to see. I don't know if it'll happen though. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, and then I've already kind of talked about mine on and off. I just want to know those those juicy backstories. <laughs> yeah. um, and and we haven't really mentioned Misha's grandma yet, but she was a really, really nice, warm character. It kind of goes into her previous life as a guardian at the very end. So mm -hmm. I'm curious to know more about that. Oh, uh, yeah. Well, I will say... <laughs> we shall see what happens in book two. I'm trying to like not say yes or no, but I'm yeah. just like, oh yeah, book two. <laughs> yeah, it's a complete mystery to you, I'm sure. Who knows? Yes, I <laughs> have knows? no idea, even though I've literally been like so deep into that book since last year. <laughs> well, thank you so much for talking with us and answering all of our questions. And I know that all of us are really excited to see what the next book entails. Yeah. Um, so looking forward to that. Yeah, thank you so much for asking such great questions and being like so engaged with the book. Like I really appreciate like all of the predictions because they actually were really fun for me to hear and, and internally know how accurate some of them actually could be. <laughs> well, our last question is just for our viewers benefit. Uh, where can people find you online? So you can find me on Instagram at 
Mew Tripled, which is M-E-W-T-R-I-P-L-E-D, which, yeah, that username is inspired by my 11-year-old self loving Tokyo Mew Mew. <laughs> but yeah, I post comics there. I also, under the same username, post videos on YouTube, kind of more directed on people who are interested in pursuing art or animation as a career. It's kind of more of my behind the scenes I guess, channel where I'm just like, this is how I'm able to do this or that because so many people ask me how I do this or that. So I'm like, okay, watch my YouTube channel. <laughs> and yeah, otherwise, yeah, I'm mostly on Instagram and YouTube and yeah, that's it. So go find her, go seek her out. <laughs> yeah, thank Look you. at those comics, they're great. <laughs> and with that, we'll leave with a little bit of a hint of our next episode. We are returning after what seems like a million years to the Rangers Apprentice series uh, with the third book, The Icebound Land. So watch out for that. And thank you again, Michelle. Thank you so much for having me. It's been like such an awesome time talking to you all. 